I came from a place early in my career where admitting not knowing what would be the best scenario would have been a sort of a form of defeat. Again, showing up authentically and also admitting, you know, not knowing and, and just testing essentially for me was, was something liberating. Hi, I'm Aaron Levy, and I have this vision of a workplace where your manager doesn't suck, where instead your manager is your coach, helping you to reach your full potential at work. I founded Raise the Bar, wrote Open, Honest, and Direct, and started this podcast to help companies transform their workplace into a place where both the company and employee succeeds. In this podcast, I get to interview leaders who built high-performing teams and learn from them on what it takes to unlock a team's potential. Today, we're lucky to have Peter Gergot, the Chief People Officer at TVH, a global leader in parts and accessories with over 5,000 employees worldwide. Peter's journey has ranged from law school to nonprofit work in Eastern Europe to the tech sector as the Chief People Officer of Showpad. All of this has played a role in teaching him lessons about life and what it takes to create safety on his teams and enable teams to perform at a high level. In today's episode, Peter shares his lessons with us and goes a layer deeper in sharing how he actually puts those lessons into practice with his team. There are a ton of gold nuggets, and I had a blast with this conversation. I know you will too. Enjoy. So Peter, I honestly can't believe this is the first time we're recording a conversation together. We've known each other for what, two or three years now? Yeah, running up to four, I would think. Running up to four years, and we've had some just tremendous conversations about people, about leadership, about developing teams, about purpose. I think that was one of the very first things that you charged me with when we met was talking about purpose. And so I'm super excited to have this conversation. Thank you for uh, agreeing to come on and share your insights and your story. So from your past, it's pretty varied and interesting. I, I remember we had a dinner a few years back where you said you went to spy school, you were in the nonprofit world. At the time we were we were having that dinner, you were you know, chief people officer at a fast growing tech company, and now you're in manufacturing. Can you tell me a little bit about how your background has influenced where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I should probably start a story that the biggest historical event that marked my life was uh, the Berlin Wall coming down uh, when I was 15, and that uh, sparked a fascination for Eastern Europe. I went to law school, which is something you can do as an undergrad in Belgium, continued to business school, and then went to the School of Slavonic and uh, East European Studies, where I studied Russian and transition economics. And then my first job was during the conflict in Yugoslavia. So I worked in Bosnia, Croatia, Kosovo, working on food distribution uh, and, and small economic development. And so very interesting start in, in a very difficult uh, situation, which I think taught me a lot about, yeah, I guess what, what you call today purpose. I think what I learned in, in that sort of context is that when you look at nonprofits, people are very clear in very difficult circumstances with a lot of chaos, they are super clear about why they are there. And many people in the field, and I, I worked later on three years also for Doctors Without Borders, in, in exceptionally difficult circumstances, everybody is super clear on why they are there, how they contribute. And that is something that I took with me for the rest of my career when um, building up teams that understanding the context, understanding uh, what it is, this is all about, what mountain you are climbing is essential to come to a high performing and a happy team. And, and that seems a pretty evident thing to say today, but it, it wasn't almost 25 years ago 
when I started. And so I so started in the Balkans. I made an unlikely move to headhunting in technology, talking the late 90s, early 2000s at the boom of technology. And the only reason I did that was because they promised uh, to send me to Russia and they did. So I ended up in 2001 in Moscow as a headhunter. I believe I was the first uh, non-Russian headhunter at that time and then moved back to Belgium and went into the tech space, uh, worked for a semiconductor company initially for Europe and then later on moved to the States, lived in Idaho, uh, which I totally loved, but supported teams across the US, uh, a lot of them also in the Valley. And so, yeah, I think it's been a mixture of non-profit and uh, for-profit experiences. And, and I think I took away a lot in both environments that I could apply on the other, uh, I would say, on the other side. And just recently in the last year or so, you've made the move from tech into manufacturing and uh, you know, a multinational, larger organization. What inspired that move? Yeah, so I spent about seven years in the startup and scale-up. The first one was around big data. You have startup scale-up, 60 to 120 people, a crunching of big data in telco. And then I moved to, uh, to Showpad, where I did a scaling from 150 to uh, just under 500 people over a period of uh, four years. And that was a, a tremendous experience where I think we went through the journey together, uh, where you could start... I would say almost an empty page in terms of leadership. I remember the day we brought all the people leaders together in a room and we literally started from the point where we said, hey, you you are the people leaders of, of this organization. Mm. This is what you can expect from us. It all started from there and building the journey together with you. And the reason I left after uh, six or seven years in that space was I was very curious to see how I think all the beliefs that I have around building, and I think our beliefs uh, are enough, fairly similar around managers do not have have to suck building psychologically safe and vibe, building places where people can develop and at the same time uh, keep a strong focus on high-performing teams. It's not an easy thing, but a relatively easy thing to do in young startups and scale-ups. I was curious to see how that works at a much larger scale in organizations with a much longer history. I showed that reached it 10th anniversary. The other organization had existed for only five years. I've now joined an organization that has existed for more than 50 years with 5,000 people. And so how do you go about changing the leadership style, the leadership philosophy, the framework in an organization that is present in more than 80 countries, has over a billion in revenue and has a, has a very long history and an, and an existing strong value set as well. So I was fascinated by that. You call it manufacturing, I would say. So TVH is, is, is a, a world leader in the distribution of parts for machinery. But so I, I think the easiest way to describe it is that we are a, a B2B platform for parts, the, the Amazon of parts, if you want, selling 18,000 parts every day uh, that get distributed across uh, the world. So it was about scale. It was about how is this philosophy around people going to be applied in, in more, for lack of a better word, traditional industries that have to make the transition into a more digital world, into a more purpose-driven world, and also into a world where, and, and, and this is part of the activity of TVH also, where you have a big impact on on sustainability as well, right? I mean, we essentially keep machines going for a much longer period. So I was curious to apply it at scale with, with a bit more history in our back pockets. Yeah, it's super interesting. And it seems really like a 
fun, but also challenging experiment for yourself to kind of see how that philosophy expands and scales and applies in, in varied situations. And what I'm curious about as you're talking about this philosophy, it seems like you have, you know, a grasp of, of it. How would you describe your philosophy on leadership as you've cultivated it over the years? And I know it's a big question, so there's no no expectation to share it in the most beautiful way, but what are some of the components of, of your philosophy on leadership? Yeah, I think for me, it all uh, it all starts, uh, Aaron, and uh, with uh, what I learned from, I think, uh, someone we know in common there, and I, I had the privilege of having as a coach, uh, Rich Hill, I think, let the a foundation for my philosophy, which is leadership is essentially always about setting context. I think that influenced me big time in terms of thinking about the role of a leader, as in making sure that everybody on your team understands why they are doing what you may ask them to do, or that they understand how they are contributing to a bigger goal. And so I think being clear on whatever metaphor you want to use, the, the mountain you are trying to climb, I think is very essential. And I think I've learned through my career that actually many people and many teams and many organizations are not so clear about that. I mean, if you need to work with the sport metaphor and, you know, we work together on this as well in Showpad, what is your gold medal? What is it that you are trying to accomplish and breaking it down from there into different pieces? What are the main drivers leading up to obtaining that gold medal? And then again, going further into detail so everybody knows exactly how they contribute in reaching a certain objective and so again giving the context for me is is absolutely fundamental and i think setting context goes with a number of other values it goes with transparency of course and making sure that you share what is happening to the extent that is possible i think it goes with you know psychological safety in a team and, and you feel comfortable to speak up and be vulnerable because being transparent also means that you know things are not always crystal clear and, and things will evolve and and there is ambiguity and change that you want to share with your team it means being clear around you know priorities what is essential what is important what is urgent so i think there are a lot of things that go with it. I always try to keep in mind when I ask someone to do something on the team or when I see someone doing something, how is this contributing to, to what we are trying to accomplish? And you, you were part of the organization we worked with in, in the UK, the, the, the group British rowers that uh, obtained Olympic gold. And so they always ask the one question, will it make the boat go faster? And I think once you know what you're trying to accomplish, I think for me, that's a good rule of thumb to keep in mind when you ask someone to do something is, will this make our boat go faster? Yes or no? But obviously you need to be clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Just like the simplicity of that question, right? Will it make the boat go faster or said differently? How is this contributing to what we're trying to do? And making sure that not just you know that, because that's important for us to know as, as leaders of the organization, but the people in which you're asking them to do things. And as you were sharing kind of the the importance of context, and you shared a little bit more about transparency and safety and clarity on priorities, this thought popped up, the contrast between transparency and context. And those are similar, but but yet very different things that I feel and I've seen organizations get caught up in, well, I'm going to give transparency or complaining about transparency, but not thinking about context. How do you think about those two as separate? How would you make a distinction between transparency and context in your mind? 
I think context is all about beyond being clear on why something matters. And I think it, it's making sense of something. And I think transparency, in my mind, is just it's sharing information, right? But not necessarily without asking the why question behind it. And that's it's such an important distinction. So many organizations I see get that wrong. They say, hey, we're super transparent, so we're doing all the right things, but they're not sharing the why behind it so people can still be confused. So how are you going about bringing this or meshing this philosophy that you have around leadership into your new role at TVH? I think where I tried to start was creating a team by sharing who I am, what I stand for, and trying to create some psychological safety and establishing, I think, that sort of common ground where people feel comfortable to uh, to speak up and, and share their perspective. I think you first need to get to a sort of team agreement, and I think sort of Ask yourself as a team the question on, you know, what, what do we stand for? What are our commitments towards each other? I think is a first important foundation in my perspective. I've, I've also invested a good amount of time in um, trying to understand the business. And that is a fairly complex topic in a large organization with a long history. And I think from there it, it goes into, I think, trying to define with your team Again, what are we trying to accomplish here? Where are we aiming for? And then I think it's in a larger organization, you have to work in, in without being hierarchical. You have to think, I think, in certain layers. I mean, there is, a, there is obviously an executive team where we are in the middle of a, a large strategic transformation project over multiple years. And so we've really put everything on the table from thinking about all of... We, we've defined the whole company into eight eight end-to-end -end processes. So it's uh, TVH on one page. That also implies wow. the conversation on what is the key technology, what's the ideal technology architecture. And then we are also working on a blueprint of the organization. So that's a very existential exercise to make. And so we've, we've been going for almost a year in that project, starting from an analysis of the as is to the discussion on with an unconstrained roadmap where would we want to go? And then we are now at the point of we've defined the eight end-to-end -end processes. We've defined the, the different processes within each stream. And at the same time, you're looking at technology, you're looking at the organization. So you're really throwing a lot of things up into the air. And at the same time, you need to make sure people get a level of comfort within that ambiguity and within that change. And so we are now at, at really setting a, you know, a clear direction. This is where the there is a transparency and there is a context, but it also means a level of vulnerability in saying we, you know, I, I'm going to give an example. You could say, well, we're going to move into a globally functional organization, but hey, we may be, you know, three years away from it. And there are different steps uh, to take and it will be a curvy road to get there, but there is a clear direction. And so... So it really starts, I think, with establishing common ground, a level of comfort, team agreements, defining then again, what is it, where are we heading for and what eventually are we trying to do here? And I think for my own HR team, what I tried to do was, first of all, I think reduce, I'll, I'll call it the noise. It was a very vertical organization. So, so that it, it's a large global team. And I've really tried to reduce all the different projects, all the different initiatives into three key priorities and three key follow-ups for 22. And that translated into six projects globally. 
So we started there, just taking out, I would say, a significant amount of noise and, and maybe at times a bit of lack of focus and, and prioritization out of the system. And then we really did a, a bit of soul searching on what are we doing here, trying to define purpose. Why are we here? Again, where is the business going? What can we mean for the business? And so we're really developing, working on a storyline as well, like what are we doing here? You know, what's, what's the significance of our team to the business? How will we contribute? And so I'm really, I'm trying to set a clear direction in the long run. And at the same time, always keep a balance between some short, mid and long-term wins and moving slowly but surely into, into a certain direction where people see that things are converging, right, so over time. So, so I would say that's yeah, very high level, I would say is a bit the answer of what I'm trying, trying to accomplish. No, I, I think it's fascinating that you mentioned, like, if I had to bucket it into kind of three main things that you mentioned, there's one is sharing and aligning on team agreements, right? Sharing of yourself and connecting with the others and how you are working together and kind of starting to create that psychological safety. And alongside of that, you mentioned that the other step was to understand the business, but also to clarify the business, whether that's on the executive level, but I like how you shared on your team, you kind of cleared out the noise and clarified and simplified the projects that you as a team are working on so that people can be clear on that. And then you, you lastly shared defining your purpose as a team. And what you didn't say was defining purpose as a large company, but you said specifically with the team that you're working, right? What is our story? Creating that story and the reason behind it. I think that so can get lost for strategic leaders to say, okay, we need to look just at the, the overarching picture, but you, you also share, hey, how does our team play a role in that overarching picture? What's our purpose? Exactly. And I think it was also, it's a lot also about horizontally connecting the dots, I would say. So I think this is an organization with a, a, a fantastic team of great people doing fantastic things, but not always yet horizontally connected. And so I think what you also get is the sum of the parts is, is larger, right? And the, all the separate initiatives. And I think just finding the, you know, the added value of combining all those different parts, I think is, is, is super essential as well. And for people listening to this, they're going to think, wow, this he's got such a great long-term ability to, to vision and, and be strategic. And that's something I've always really admired about you is your ability to have this three, four-year picture of, of what needs to happen. How do you, on a personal and in the business, balance the picture that you know you need to get to as a business or as a team, right? That need for change in the future. And you've mentioned a couple of times, this is a year down the line. This is three years down the line with the time it takes for change, right? How do you balance that? I know I see what we need to do, but I also know it's not going to happen for a year or two years. I, I always have the three buckets in my mind in terms of like, where are the quick wins? Where is like the medium term and the long term? I think you need that as a team. But I also think the way the people function is, is, is seen by the rest of the organization. You can't just think about the long term, they, they obviously want to see some, some shorter uh, term improvements as well. And so I, I really always try to balance those three a little bit. I don't think you, sh you, you can be too focused on only one of those three. And so we started, we are at the moment doing an exercise, which is just a, a quick win exercise where we say, what are the things towards the business where we could make quick wins, but also what are some of our quick wins as a team where we could work on? I think there are a number of topics where you think, well, between this and in the next 12 months, 
we could fix this and we could change it. And then you have a number of things where you know it's going to be the three to four years. And, and in my experience, most people, I think, relate quite easily to the first two. I think it always requires a bit more effort uh, and repetition to, to, to talk about the three to four years. I think people have the tendency to, it's, it's often hard to imagine something that needs fixing to say we, we're only going to get there in three or four years. I think that it requires a good justification and a good story and, and, and a clear direction to to do that. I think what, what, what often happens is that you put too many things in, in the short and midterm buckets, and then you obviously do not end up delivering them in the end. But so I guess the answer is I try, I really try to balance those three. And I think any, any organization and any team has those short-term wins and people start seeing the needle is moving. And then I think you, you want to capture that momentum and, and build it further from there. And what as you think about those short-term wins, I love how you break it down, right? Like where are the wins? Having a mixture, a balanced mixture of quick, medium, and long-term. And as you think about the quick, how do you determine, hey, we're not going to do these quick wins because that's just noise, and we are going to go after these quick wins? How do you encourage your team and support your team in, in being strategic? Because obviously it's not all up to you. It's how they interpret and apply and, and start to build those win trajectories for themselves. Yeah, it's definitely not about me. I think there are two dimensions. I think one, obviously, is the feedback from the business. And so I had a hundred plus conversations with business leaders at, at TVH. And so there's some very clear teams in there where you feel like this is where we could add a ton of value for them. And then I think the second dimension is, is obviously a global HR team that is struggling with certain aspects where you feel like if we could tweak this or that, it would help a lot. I'm, I'm, to give a very practical example, I think TVH has wonderful values going back to the, you know, the family roots of the business. And it means that it's a very participative culture, but that also means we tend to have a lot of people in most meetings. And so that leads to a, a strong meeting culture and a very high load of meetings and most people agendas. And so one short-term initiative is really thinking through uh, meeting culture. It's, for example, also thinking through recruitment processes, where again, that those values tend, tend to lead to, at times, having too many people in a recruitment process. So to give you a very practical example, we, we had until very recently HR business partners involved in every single position interviewing. And so it, it, it took probably less than an hour in a meeting to say, is that is that really needed? I mean, we have great recruiters. And so in the end, it was like a slam dunk to, for everyone to accept that we could probably skip that. Now that's, that meant liberating a very significant, we're looking at 750 hires this, this year at TVH. So that's a very significant amount of time if you think about it. So again, it's a combination of, I would say, business needs, but also you know, freeing up the team to focus them, giving them time back, but also focusing them on on what is what is important uh, to what we need to accomplish. Well, I think it's such a uh, unique but really smart perspective of, okay, let's take this beginner's mind to what we're doing and look at, at the two buckets, right? What is the business needing right now? And what's that longer trajectory? So don't just go for quick wins for the sake of quick wins, but quick wins that either serve the business need right now or serve the long-term trajectory. And that's kind of like if I'm thinking about this for my team and, and if you know leaders are, as leaders are listening to this and thinking about, hey, how do we determine where we should be focusing our energy in the short term? That's a really great filter to look through decisions. Peter, one of the things I'm curious about is what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned and taken 
over the course of your journey as a leader? Like, what are the things that stick with you today? I think for me, I, so I was trained as a lawyer and uh, my first role as an HR director was in quite a big law firm. And that is an environment where, and it's also part of your education as a lawyer that is highly perfectionist. And I think the biggest, most significant journey for me as a leader was to move away from perfectionism. I, I, it doesn't mean not being ambitious or not wanting to do things as well as possible. But I think the perfectionism for me in an environment where every small mistake is a big issue made me initially, when I look back at my first leadership role, I mean, perfectionism is blocking a lot of the things that I stand for today. It's blocking you from, you know, giving people autonomy because you want to keep control. It is blocking you from psychological safety because, again, the controlling aspect of it, you don't want people to say the wrong thing. And it's very suffocating. It obviously blocks you from having a mindset, where a learning mindset, where you, you try out things and you iterate and you go by incremental wins. And I think being in the tech industry has really helped me there. The whole idea of how you do continuous releases in software where you constantly improve incrementally is how I think about it today. And so, you know, at Chopet, there was a strong culture of engagement surveys, measuring uh, a lot of things. And we, we do that at TVH as well. And just capturing feedback and then go by small incremental wins, encouraging people to take initiatives, making sure they feel okay to make mistakes, not by laziness, but because they took a risk and they did it in a, in a committed way, but not everything goes according to plan and, and and that's okay and i think letting that go for me had a big impact on me on how i show up as a leader but it also had a big impact on me on, on i would say the, the satisfaction and happiness i got out of my role it is very stressful to be a perfectionist and it and it also learned me to to flourish in environments like scale-ups but also an organization like tvh where you have a tremendous amount of change going on to let things go and to just say okay there are a hundred things going on this is what is important at the moment. And I can live with all of these other things. And uh, that's been quite a journey for me. I think I came from a place where I really wanted to, you know, everything to be to be perfect. And in the end, you, you end up with not taking a lot of initiative and, and creating something far less compelling and, you know, not an employee experience that, that is significantly below par compared to uh, a more open and iterative uh, mindset. The word that I've held for this year, I set kind of an intention word or phrase for myself. And uh, part of that intention was, was about acceptance. And I love how you've shared one of your biggest lessons was letting go of perfection, right? And, and even just the idea of letting go on its own is so valuable and important and realizing you don't and can't have all the answers and you can't drive all the results. And I think that's just a, from someone at such a high level leadership position, it's a great lesson for for all of us to learn that that's actually a way to get more done not get less done but i had an aha moment on this aaron when i was in the startup and we were doing we were doing employee engagement service and the question was do we do it anonymously or not and it was a long and difficult debate and at the end, someone said why don't we try both and see <laughs> if it's uh see what what the difference is and i had like this click where i was like <laughs> how how did I not think about this? I mean, just like let's just this was a small organization, right? But wh why do we not just check and and see what happens? And I came from a place early in my career where admitting not knowing what would be the best scenario would have been a sort of a form of defeat. That that for me was like just a small moment, like again showing up authentically and also admitting you know not knowing and and just testing essentially for me was was something liberating.
simple when we share it. It's simple in reflection. It's so hard in the moment. And it is, yeah, it's freeing. It's liberating. It's, it's, it creates new openings. Peter, this was all I could have imagined from our conversation. I'm like so excited. There's so much meat in here that you've shared that I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a friend, being a thought partner, and uh, coming on and sharing your insights with the community. Thank you for inviting me, and I'm looking forward to the journey uh, together at TVH in the coming uh, in the coming years. Open Office and Direct is produced by Raise the Bar, where we help companies level up their leadership by empowering their managers with the tools, skills, and training to be better leaders of people. You can get in touch with us at raisebar.co. Thank you for listening and go put your learning into practice.